Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Obviously, it's Thanksgiving Sunday, so we'll do a Thanksgiving message. Um, but what I want to sort of bring us to this week is that the idea that is the Thanksgiving is not just about us taking the things that we're grateful for, the things that we see in our lives that are blessings, the things that we thank God for, and just sort of saying to ourselves, hey, I'm thankful for this, and I'm going to offer Thanksgiving to God. Like, that's awesome. And maybe even, how many of you remember those old Cosby Show episodes or have done this around your table where on Thanksgiving Sunday you're all sitting around the table and everybody says, hey, everybody just think of one thing that you're thankful for. And all the extroverts go, woohoo! And all the introverts go, oh no! And uh, everybody sort of goes around and shares that thing they're thankful for. That is a part of Thanksgiving and a part of what it is. And it's uh, something really to be celebrated, that sort of personal Thanksgiving between you and God. What I want to bring us to is the idea that we're not only uh, called to be thankful, we are called to inspire thanksgiving in others. We're not just called to be thankful people, we're called to inspire thanksgiving in others. Uh, we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians, um, and we're going to look at a couple of instances where Paul is speaking to that church. He's speaking to a group of people that he's just addressed in a really hard letter. He's addressing some division in the community. Uh, there's sort of some are on page, some have sort of come back and kind of repented, and some haven't. And he's just sort of trying to make a case for them. Hey, this is why I'm speaking to you. I'm calling you guys uh, to unity. I'm calling you back to mission together. There's something that you as a body need to do together. And the way he orients that, or the way he motivates that act of mission or that call to mission in the body is by using a phrase like that your deeds may result in thanksgiving to God. So so often when we motivate people and when we want to be motivated, we're, we're, we're motivated about, hey, how is this a blessing for me? How is this something that is good for me? And Paul's motivator in calling the church back together and calling them to unity is, hey, you exist to create a set of circumstances where you cause others to say thanks. So we're going to do not Thanksgiving Sunday, but Thanks Causing Sunday. Um, and what I want to do, I'm just going to point out these few uh, texts in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians and uh, just, just orient ourselves around it. But we're going to focus on really one. But in uh, first, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. He says, as you help us by your prayers, he's talking about prayer, then many will give thanks to the glory of God. And then later he says in chapter 4, verse 15, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So he's talking about grace reaching people. That causes thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And then in verse chapter 9, verse 15, he says this, so that your generosity may result in thanksgiving to God. And so he's explaining each of those things, and he's orienting the motivation around you causing thanksgiving. But what I want to talk about is just that middle one that we read, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 13 to 15. We'll just read the text. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. 
since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. All of this because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So that is your benefit, that thanksgiving may overflow to the glory of God. And so nestled in these verses we've just read, there is kind of a little process. Uh, when Paul speaks, uh, very often, like he, he's, a, he's a genius, he's, just, he's a literary genius. And when he writes these letters to the churches, he has thoughts piled on thoughts sometimes in his head. And we just have to slow them down for a moment and unpack them piece by piece. And in this case, we're going to kind of reorder them to see sort of a process and see a causal relationship in this. So you'll see that word because there in a text. Because we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus uh, from the dead will also raise us. So that's the starting point that knowledge. And then following that knowledge is belief. And then following that belief is speaking. And I'm just going to show us how that works uh, together because in here is sort of a little purpose and a plan. How many of you have ever had like a plan that didn't come together? <laughs> I hate it when a plan doesn't come together. My cousin and I we were always uh, hatching schemes and plans. Uh, my cousin Evan. And uh, the plan always was, let's, let's tease the girls. Let's get the girls. So my three female cousins uh, were the great enemies of us, the two male cousins. And we were always hatching a plan. And the plan would always be something like this. We're going to toilet paper Angie's room or something like that. Just something fun. And so that's what we would do. We would hatch a plan. And we loved making a plan. We would sort of lay it all out and, uh, and, and sort out the plan. And the plan was going to be something like this typically. Okay, so we're going to go steal the toilet paper from the garage. We're going to hide it in the basement. We're going to get your mom to call the girls and make them go outside. Then we're going to sneak up from the basement. We're going to go into the girls' room. We're going to fill the whole thing with toilet paper. And then we're going to run and jump out the window. Because I don't know why we need to run and jump out the window, but we always had to jump out the window because that was fun. So that's the plan. The plan almost always stalled. And here's how it stalled. One, we would go into the garage to steal the toilet paper, and we would see the dirt bikes, and we would forget all about our plan. <laughs> the second place that plan could uh, possibly stall is when we would go and talk to the moms. We would go talk to the moms and say, hey, hey moms, can you guys like get the girls in just like five minutes and call them and tell them to go outside and pick you guys some flowers or something like that? Okay, you guys think you're going to do it? And moms would invariably do something like this and go, okay, sure, why don't you boys go hide downstairs and we'll trick the girls later. And that was just them telling us to go downstairs. We never got the call and they never did the thing to the girls. So that was, that was the, the other possibility. And the other place to plan stall was sometimes the moms would just throw us under the bus. And they would just say, hey, guess what? various parts of that plan. Um, the way it works, and, and I think this is what it's supposed to be for all of us, is this process of going from knowing to really believing and leaning on our faith to actually speaking about our faith is a process that is just part of our discipleship and it's something that I think God wants every one of us to be progressing through to sort of understand honestly where we're at in that journey, and then move on to be people who uh, intentionally will say to ourselves, hey, I, I need to go to the next thing, and I need 
Uh, Jesus, help me do it. Because uh, we all, I think, want to get to the place where we're sharing our faith, where people are coming to know Jesus, and where all around us, thanksgiving for what God has done in other people's lives is raising up to Him. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we long for uh, as, as Christians, as believers? So just the question, are, are you actually conscious that you're in a process of God? Just, just beware, are you conscious that you're in a process of God? That you're in a journey with Him? That who you are right now is, is wonderful and who you are is good. But He has somewhere that He wants to move you. I think what we'll learn this morning is that uh, on that journey, uh, one, there, there, there can be incredible joy and incredible fun. And at the end of it is incredible fruitfulness. So the journey goes like this. We know about Christianity. Most of us in here do. We, we know about the outline of the story. We know that Jesus died on the cross for us, and we know about the resurrection. And we live with that in ourselves in a way that um, is, is wonderful and it's good to know and that knowledge uh, enriches our lives. It's something that is beautifully tacked on to who we are as people. But there's a step beyond knowing and that's believing. And we can, there can be a semantical argument about what this means, but the New Testament concept of believing is, means actually trusting means actually leaning on, means actually acting on the thing that you know. So if you know, you want to move to a place of really trusting and really living, and if you're really trusting and really living, and it's really working, then you can't help but be a person who is speaking. And so often our efforts to evangelize, our efforts to tell our story, are difficult and challenging and hard because uh, we actually don't have living, active, present testimonies out of which to speak the truth of what we know. And so we're talking about this process of going from knowing to believing, to being people who speak, and ultimately then to praise being erupting to the glory of God. So that phrase that you see up in your screen, uh, sort of uh, right there in verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. The word knowledge in this text is, is, is interesting. When, when we think of knowledge, and oftentimes in the Greek the word for knowledge is a word uh, that it sort of sounds like gnosis. It sounds, it sounds like knowledge. The Greek word is for is gnosis. And that word sort of means kind of an intimate knowledge. It means kind of knowing fairly deeply all about something. The word used in this particular text is a word uh, that is pronounced edo, roughly. It's pronounced edo. And what edo is, and is defined as, uh, and this is just a definition that I, I pulled out of a commentary, is to see with physical eyes as it naturally bridges to metaphysical reality. To see with physical eyes, to know the resurrection, because the resurrection is basically something that is fairly provable. There's lots of evidence that you can do, uh, look at, to see that, yes, the resurrection of Jesus is something that actually happened. 
But ego is to know that the resurrection of Jesus happened. Know that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. And to then have something happen in your mind so that that knowledge begins to affect and impact your worldview. It changes what you believe about other things. It changes what you believe about your reality. In the case of the resurrection, it uh, changes us to believe, you know, what actually happens when we die and how we actually endure suffering. There's something about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus that is meant to be applied to us. It begins to bake our noodle when we take on Edo, uh, an understanding. It's the aha moment. It's like, oh, now I see it. Now I perceive. How many of you saw The Matrix movie? Right? When you're a kid, and I watched The Matrix with Toby, for Toby as a kid, The Matrix is a kung fu movie with guns. And that's such what the director said in the talk and had them uh, were interviewed about the serious uh, implications of The Matrix and all the philosophy tied to it. And the directors of the movie just said, well, it's just kind of a kung fu movie with guns. But when you're 12 years old and you watch The Matrix, that's what you see. You see a kung fu movie with guns. When you're 22 years old and watch The Matrix, your mind is like, Whoa. You got to do the candy, candy reuse, do it with the candy reuse. Whoa. Right? It's, it's something that, that, that you begin to think about other things. That's what Edo is. For you, has the resurrection of Jesus been a Sunday school story that you know? Something amazing and true and beautiful that you understand. But has there been for you a moment where you really see and really understand? that it means that you can live in a different way than you've been living before. That death has been defeated. Like, really defeated. Do you actually live differently from the people around you in the world who don't believe in the resurrection? Do you fear death less? Can you take risks more? Have you had either? Have you had that knowledge? And so what I want us to leave us with around that progression from having the knowledge, having that, whoa, that's, that's actually really real, that impacts me. In that transition from there to the place of actually making decisions on that basis and leaning on it, you might have to take a second to take the resurrection of Jesus a little bit deeper in terms of your understanding and say, okay, does this really mean? You might need to investigate. You might need to tear it up. You might need to call me and say, hey, is there a book that I can read on it? Because I know the Sunday school story, but I don't really get what this is supposed to do in my heart. And that's a step in your discipleship journey. Taking it from the head to the heart. And letting it really impact the way that you see it. Amen. So that's critical for you in your discipleship journey. Taking those biblical stories and getting them to the place where it's like, wow. The next step is to believe in a way that causes you to lean on. To live in a way that you are leaning on those truths. Um, and to understand that even in the text that we're looking at, we want to just actually zoom out to the context of what you see on the screen. Paul is making a case for why he has the right to speak to the people in Corinth. 
about this issue, and he's he's sort of laying it out for them. the reason. One of the reasons I'm speaking, and, he, and he's like, I mean, he, it's a long case that he's making, but this particular part of the case for Paul's right to speak to the people in Corinth is, hey, I'm speaking to you because this stuff that Jesus did in me, it actually works. I'm actually leaning on it. What he says in verse 8 of this same chapter, he's describing his story, the story of what the knowledge of the resurrection has meant for how he's living. He says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. Amen. What Paul is saying here is, I am actually living my life in a costly way to the point where I am going places where people want to kill me. I am going into places that are perplexing to figure out. I am going to places where uh, people are persecuting me. I am going to places where I'm literally, literally Paul is being crushed. He's literally being stoned. He's literally spending his life in a way that it's costing him his life. It's literally costing him his freedom. It's costing him health in his body. It's costing him peace in his mind. He's pouring out his life in a radical way. But life, resurrection life, is thriving inside. This story of the resurrection it's not just something I know about. It's just not something that's like <coughs> baked my noodle. I'm pouring out my life and I'm getting life poured back into me. I'm pouring my life out so fast. This thing is killing me, this call to mission. But God is pouring life into me faster than I can pour it out. That is living and leaning on the power of the resurrection. That is living and leaning on it. You don't just know it, but you are letting it cost you, and you are trusting God to pour back in. You're trusting Him. I've never, I've never dropped, jumped out of a plane before. Have <laughs> anybody, anybody done that? Have anybody parachuted before? But you can sit in that class at the beginning, and, and I imagine they probably teach you a few things on the first day you jump out of an airplane. Like, I think they probably teach you the physics. They teach you about terminal velocity. Uh, they teach you about how the parachute works and how it opens. Uh, they teach you how to pack it and repack it and pack it and repack it so that you know you packed it right. And then when it comes time for you to take off and to look out that door, you know everything about what it is to parachute. But you haven't believed in that parachute until you jump up. That's what belief is. That's what faith is. That's what he's calling us to do. So the question for you around that idea of belief is, are you living your life in a way where the mind-blowing truth of the resurrection is causing you to pour out your life in constant ways? Are you living in radical generosity?
Are you spending time with people that you don't think you have to spend? Are you having risky conversations that you don't want to have? This is, this is where it gets real for us. This is where my struggle is. This is where your struggle is. Will I actually lean on this and place myself in danger and in cost for the king of the kingdom? Do I really believe? Do I really believe? And then once you're leaning and trusting in the gospel and putting yourself in risky situations, and you know that it works, and you know that the life of Jesus is being poured into you, that's when you're going to be really confident speaking. That's when you're going to be really confident sharing the gospel. In uh, verse uh, 13, Paul says this. He says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Whenever, whenever it says the Bible that is written, it's good to look up where it's written, right? And so this is something that we see in, uh, most commentators point back to Psalm 116, but we see this idea reflected elsewhere. But it's really it, uh, linked back to this Psalm of David, and it's a Psalm of deliverance. Uh, David, this uh, incredible king in the scriptures who had this incredible journey to the kingship, an incredible struggle morally, an incredible challenge with the rebellion in his kingdom, and ultimately uh, just this, this life of service to God that was full of so many ups and downs. He took that life with God, and he shared it just incredibly transparently. But in this psalm, he, he shares a piece, and we don't really know which part of his life this psalm is coming from. Maybe it comes from when he was running from Saul. Maybe this comes when he came. Uh, some commentators, Jewish commentators, actually point to a time that we don't see recorded in the scriptures where they believe David was wounded in battle. And say this is coming out of a recovery from sickness, or uh, from a wound in the battle. But David says this, he says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed and then I spoke. David leaned on, believed in God. He experienced Him and then he wrote it down in Psalms. He wrote it down in Psalms and he shared that story. And that's what Paul was saying. Just like David, David had all of this stuff happen to him. And, and just like David, out of his faith, wrote these Psalms, I'm writing you a letter. I want you to know that uh, God met me. God has delivered me. God has saved me. He has saved me from so much so that I could be here and that I could speak to you. Our testimonies, our stories of leaning on God are the thing that give us the open door to speak and share the story of the resurrection. And you know what that's like for people. People who've experienced something good uh, tend to share it. Right? Uh, have we any vegans in our midst? Who's been, who's been evangelized by a vegan? <laughs> right? um, who's been evangelized? Speaking of Kathleen, who's been evangelized to, to square dancing? <laughs> right? Uh, people, when they believe in something, when they have an experience, when it, when it seems to help them, when they've got tangible uh, results that they're seeing in their body, uh, they begin to talk about it and they begin to share about it get a vice or go into the water because it's going to give you better recovery time that's supposed to make you healthy by going in cold showers and in ice. Do we have any other ice? Sam, you're an ice 
baiting evangelists, aren't you? Yeah, we got those. We got people who evangelize us towards the things that we think are, that they think are going to transform us and make us better. We well, need that kind of experience of leaning on Jesus in a radical way. And that's going to be really, really easy to open your mouth and to share the gospel. So the question there is, is there any chance that we're just too timid to talk about our testimony, to talk about our stories of deliverance, our stories of God saving us? Very often, you know, the things that God saved us for are, are a little bit shameful or a little bit painful, right? We don't really want to share the story of having wrestled with this thing or that thing or wrestled with finances. We don't want to share the story of having had to lean on God to deliver us from uh, something that, uh, that is hard. We don't want to necessarily share the stories of victory sometimes because it feels a little bit like bragging. But boy, Paul, if you read Paul, he brags in the best possible way all the time, doesn't he? He's always sharing the amazing thing that God's doing in his life. And I think we just need to take a little page from him and begin to learn how to say, hey, Jesus met me, he saved me, and I, I, I poured my life into this thing and it hurt, but man, something good came out of it and Jesus replenished me and strengthened me. And then all of this process, this process of knowing, aha, believing and leaning, and ultimately speaking, isn't just about us, is it? What that speaking does is that causes the story of the resurrection of Jesus to go viral. That causes the story of the resurrection of Jesus to spread. And we see it right here in our text. All this is to your benefit. And I love that our benefit is the thanksgiving of others. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people results in thanksgiving to the glory of God. This grace that you've received, this uh, impact in your life that you've received through understanding the resurrected Lord is meant to result in many, many other people. And the only way that happens is if you actually speak. That's like my aunts in the story at the beginning. They stalled us when we set up our plan and went downstairs and they just didn't open their mouths. And I think Christians, we do that all the time. We just don't open our mouths. But we have to, to get to the place where the glory of God is seen, where thanksgiving to Him is given. I want to just conclude with a story of um, uh, a Catholic saint, but a later Catholic saint. He was just canonized uh, in, in recent years um, from Uganda. His name was Keoli Luwonga. Uh, he lived from 1860 to 1866. That's 135 years ago in the central part of southern Uganda. Um, he was a page in the court of somebody named King Luwonga II. And what that was code for, being a page in the court of King Luwonga, was to be uh, from childhood uh, a sex slave in uh, a way of um, having broken sexuality that wasn't even just abusive but also something that was a spiritual ritual and he grew up as 
a ritualistically abused slave in the court of King Mwanga in Uganda. And when he was uh, a young man, he met a Catholic priest who began to tell him the story of Jesus. And as he heard the story of Jesus, he went through the process that we're talking about. He believed the story. He had the aha moment. He knew that it changed everything. And he began to live in a radical way. And as a page in the court of King Mwanga, Keoli Lawanga began to speak the word of God. He began to evangelize. He began to tell the story of Jesus. And Christianity was spreading in southern central Uganda at that time. And King Mwanga, who was the, the warlord over that kingdom, eventually uh, wanted to purge the country of the Anglican and the Catholic priests who were ministering there because people were starting to come to faith. And King uh, Mwanga uh, caused the persecution, and basically he ordered um, uh, the murder of all of the Roman Catholics and Anglican uh, ministers in that part of Uganda. And they were killed, and the man who uh, had led um, our hero, our saint, Akeoli, to the Lord, was killed in that persecution. And he saw what was coming, he knew it was happening, and he knew that uh, his death was near. And knowing that, but knowing the power of the resurrection, when he saw his death coming, he didn't hide. He began to tell the story of Jesus all the more passionately. And in the time between when uh, the priest who had baptized him died, he baptized over a hundred others of the priests, or of the pages who lived in the court of King Mwanga. King eventually caught on that this was happening because the young men were refusing to have sex with him. And he called all of the people uh, who he thought were people of faith who had given their lives to the Lord and been baptized. And he called them into a room together and he ordered them to confess and to recant Christianity. And not a single one of the hundred young men did. Not a single one of them did. Threatened with death. And they were all killed, except for our hero, uh, Keoli. Keoli was set aside as a separate and a special case uh, to be taken outside into the courtyard, out into the public, uh, to be burned alive. And he went out into the courtyard, he was dragged out there, he was doused with fuel, and a fire was lit. And his body began to burn. And it's, this is described as something that was sounded like a sweet song rather than a cry of anguish. Kaoli Lawanga said this, It is as if you were pouring water over me. Please repent and become a Christian like me. And he died. In that moment, he was leaning on the power of the resurrection. As he was dying, he knew his resurrection was before him. He was living as he poured out his life. And out of that truth of knowing, leaning, 
believing like none of us can imagine he spoke. Oh, please repent and become a Christian like me. In 2019, 130 years later in Kampala, Uganda, um, has now become a nation that is much more closely identified with Christianity. Uh, they call the Mass in Kampala to celebrate uh, the lives of the martyrs in their history, the people who brought the gospel to their nation. And two million believers came to give thanks. That is a story of speaking that results in the many and the many coming to give thanks to the glory of God. That is what happens when we sleep. That is what happens when we know, believe, speak. Thanks overflows, and that's who we as a church are supposed to be. So where are you on your journey? Maybe you're here, you're not a Christian, maybe you don't even know about Christianity, you don't even know about the resurrection, you don't get it, you don't necessarily believe the details. Will you take a step in research? Maybe you don't, uh, you know it, you've heard the Sunday School story your whole life, but it hasn't baked your meaning yet. Will you dig in deeper and consider the implications of the resurrection? Maybe it's baked your new, but you're not leaning on it. When you begin to make decisions where you are absolutely dependent on the inpouring of the life of Jesus because you're pouring your life out so fast. And if you're having that happen in your life, will you speak? Will you share your story? That your words will result in many, many coming to faith. And giving thanks and giving praise and having thanksgiving to the glory of God. Uh, I think we're at the end of our time, but James, why don't you come with the worship team? We'll just close with the song. I'm just going to read to you the end of Psalm 116 as the team comes. You can stand. This is David back from Psalm 116. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call in the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And maybe we don't know how to give thanks in the world. Maybe we don't know how to share our story in the world. But here in this moment, in this place, I think uh, we can begin to give thanks, and we can begin to surrender to the process of becoming knowers who believe, who speak, who cause things. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.